listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. heard a teaching that talked about how uh, enlightenment is like riding a bike in that we uh, usually crash a fair amount usually um, I've even talked about this I talked about it last week uh, eating a mailbox or two uh, you know while you're riding along Spiritual work is very much in this vein, where we stumble a great deal, we slip, we, we, uh, we go over bumps and we lose our balance, wipe out. Uh, but with that said, riding a bike has worked its way into our cultural and de-global lexicon. I mean, it's not something you forget. We oftentimes refer to uh, something that you... Once you learn it, you don't forget it, just like riding a bike. Similarly, um, I think awakening to the truth beyond any story we might have about what truth is or is not is something that's very similar to riding a bike. Once we wake up to this, it's something that we can reorient ourselves into non-selves and once we reorient into that spaciousness that uh, this this uh, non-self kind of begins to uh, uh, share we bring that back into the self or put another way it's like we our orientation is really constricted and finite and small and there's a bursting that occurs not unlike a butterfly popping out of a chrysalis or a chick pecking against and finally cracking through an egg it's very similar to our experience as uh, people that are practicing these non-dual teachings where it's neither this nor that, black nor white, right nor wrong. It's what's beyond all that. It's not truth versus non-truth. It's beyond any story of truth or non-truth. When we can crack through that egg, when we can bust through, it's really hard to go back the other way. Having said that, it doesn't mean you can't screw up. I mean, there are tons of people who have had all sorts of amazing realizations, penned them, authored them, taught them, and, you know, still screwed up. I mean, that, that, we've got tons of, tons of examples of that. But this idea of riding a bike, this idea of learning the alphabet so that you can forget it and read. Make sense? Okay. This is really, really, I think, powerful. Um... And it's encouraging because it means that you can, uh, you know, go through a lot of wipeouts and still kind of learn. The wipeouts actually inspire our work if we let it. 
So with that whole wipeout idea in mind, we can, uh, we can use training wheels. And the way we use training wheels, we usually use training wheels in our experience in ways that are um, not conscious. In other words, we're not intentionally, you know, propping ourselves up falsely on a bike. Um, with this in mind, one of the cutest, most precious things you'll ever see is a little kid trying to ride a bike. Now, uh, daughter number one turned uh, four years old, and for her fourth birthday, we got her a bike um, and got the training wheels on the back and so forth. And, you know, she's pedaling. She's learning the idea of braking. Uh, and uh, that's a trick. Because um, uh, she wanted to put her feet down like she did on her tricycle, you know, is what she was saying. <clears throat> Dad, I can stop with my feet just like on my trike. Well, you're going a little faster on a bicycle, so it gets a little harder. I can do it. <laughs> All right. Of course, I didn't have the heart to say, you watch your ego, young lady. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's kind of how it's kind of how we do it if you think of our own our own spiritual practice how often have any of us who've been doing this a while looked at a teacher who says you know you might you might want to think about this and say uh, who needs you who needs this teaching who needs to meditate right you know we kind of go into this space well watching my uh, daughter ride this bike um, just reminds me so much of it. Like, what exactly she's learning? She's learning to wake up to a new way of being. Um, and that's exactly our work. We're waking up to a new way of being. We've got to just put in the time. Some of us are going to learn how to get up on two wheels a little faster than others. Some of us are going to rely on those training wheels. We're going to lie on the stories of who we think we are who we think we're not, who we think others are, how we judge them, how we judge our situations, the world. We come up with all these stories. And every single one of those narratives helps prop up and, by extension, delay the riding of the bike. The awakening to that truth beyond our stories of truth. And yet we use them. So it's not that we're, we're trying to you know, deny any of those stories. It's that we're trying to explore them. We're trying to look at the stories, the narratives we have going on that speak. Whenever we speak to ourselves, those are the stories we're talking about. Oh, I'm not enough. Here's yet another way, you know, as to how I lack. Or I'm too much. <laughs> yet another way that I, you know, uh, I, I kind of ham-handedly go through the world. You know, yet another example of a lack of skillfulness. Or in Pali, we would say a lack of upaya. Skillfully meeting our experience. So I bring all this up tonight to kind of invite an inquiry among each and every one in this room. 
What stories are you listening to? What stories do you tell yourself? Because those are the training wheels. And ultimately, you're not going to be able to ride the bike with those training wheels firmly affixed. You just can't. We have to explore the stories that we have in our heads. The stories that we hold deeply in our bodies. Every single one of those narratives needs to be something that we bring the light of our consciousness to. And in so doing, we tend to diminish its capacity to hold us. And when it loses, when any story loses its capacity to hold us, we gain the capacity to let go. There's less that needs to be held on to. And we get to a point where, where we realize nothing needs to be held on to. In fact, it's only when we recognize that we need to let go of precisely everything in order for this stuff to unfold. We need to let go of the bike itself. So tonight when we sit, can you just imagine what you would be like without the stories that you tell yourself? Can you imagine what you'd be like living beyond any of those narratives? Anything that you say to yourself. Any story that you hear others throw on you. Any stories that you keep hearing in your head that come from some place other that comes from some place other than maybe it's your father's voice your mother's voice maybe it's your own voice of pain sometimes I call it negativity when you have that voice of negativity that shows up what is it saying? what purpose does it serve? I would argue it serves the purpose of keeping you stunted, of keeping you from riding, of keeping you from riding so that you can forget about what you're doing and just glide. The way past that is to see it. That's step one. Step one, see the story. Step two, Let go of it. Step three, bring that surrender into amazing bike riding. <laughs> So keeping the training wheels on the bicycle ultimately keeps us from being able to ride the bicycle as it was meant to be ridden. So studying the training wheels and what we're using metaphorically as training wheels in our life becomes really, really, really critical to this, to this work.
among the most amazing things we can use as training wheels are our stories of our suffering, of our pain, of how we've been slighted, maligned, our sentimentalization of how things used to be, or stories of ourselves about how we used to be such, you know, so effective, such great contributors, but now something's missing. Or, perhaps even worse, you know, I did not used to be whole, but now I am. You know? Fact is, we evolve, especially when we open ourselves to this beautiful stream of consciousness that's always already here. Uh, We evolve in every moment. Every day is different. Every day is this great chance of growth. And it happens. I mean, it's not something we need to force, really, although it does always... uh, We can always find some way of enhancing the growth experience by putting ourselves in the direct line of sight. Those divine bullets of awakening that just shatter us. You know, maybe it's a, a text that we're reading. Maybe it's a, you know, a lecture that we go see. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a stillness practice. It can be any number of things. Actually, I would say it could be anything. Okay, when we do it fully, it has this great opportunity to uh, awaken us to what's deeper than what we ever thought could be. Suzuki Roshi uh, says, I'm going to get the quote wrong, so forgive, but uh, says, if you know one thing fully, you then can know everything. In other words, as we study something completely and totally, suddenly we begin to see all things can come from that awareness of the study that we're offering. I had a discussion with a guy who has utterly no interest in awakening. I tend to surround myself with people who have no interest in it. What do you do? Well, I lead a sitting group. Uh-huh. What? What do you do? Well, Well, we... And then I'm caught. You know, it's like, well, we, we, we sit, um, and then I talk, give a talk, and we have a Q&A. <laughs> they, they listen to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Weird. Anyway, you see the Raider game? Yeah. Anyway, so I was, this guy was, I have that quote hanging up, the Suzuki Roshi quote. You'd think I'd have it memorized. <laughs> Uh, I've got it hanging. He's looking at it. He goes, well, what do you, I don't, I don't get that. I go, well, just like how you know football, and this guy does. He's an encyclopedia for football. Not interested in deep conversations about anything other than football, especially the Raiders. And, uh, um, which, by the way, the last Raider, Raider game I went to, I got vomited on. <laughs> yeah. You know. But I'm a father, so I'm used to that stuff. Anyway, this, this 
wasn't a baby that barfed on me. It was a 46-year-old father with a baby. But uh, anyway, that's another story. The point I'm trying to make here is that the, uh, the, the guy's knowledge of football allows him to turn every single aspect of his life into a football-related metaphor. And he can do it really skillfully in some pretty amazingly deep ways. So to him, he's not participating on any level of depth, at least the kind that would involve anything like dharma or meditation or that freaky, airy-fairy crap you do. You know, that it doesn't involve that to him. Instead, he's able to see the entire universe through a game. And there's actually some wisdom there. We're all Buddhas. It's just that some of us know it. So, as much of a stretch as that may be, okay, I still think it's something worthy of our consideration as we approach our practice. Whatever that practice is, you know, wherever it is that we can get beyond the stories of our mind, one of the great ways of getting beyond the stories of your mind, and some of you have experienced this, is to do something fully. Because doing something fully allows us to uncover the grace and beauty and fullness of everything. And when you do something fully, you cannot be with training wheels. Maybe it's skiing. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's rock climbing. Maybe it's that yoga class that you go to and you go, I just can't do this pose, but you push a little bit and you realize there's suddenly some kind of opening that occurs within your body. Whenever we do something completely and totally fully, we can get to that spaciousness that's beyond the stories generated by mind. We're getting to that place, if you will, that's kind of beyond thought and beyond feeling. It's one of the reasons why I think each of us loves watching great athletes. I was watching this uh, stuff, uh, I guess it was the X Games. You ever seen some of the stuff these people are doing in the X Games? I mean, they're riding their bikes and they're doing flips and then they you know, land perfectly with this just absolute grace and ease that speaks to something that's just really powerful in each of us. Or if you've ever had that go on in your head where... Oh, they make it look so, what? Easy. easy. All right? It's not easy. That took a lot of wipeouts. That took an utter and complete lack of training wheels, of fearlessness, to go beyond the training wheels, indeed to go beyond the bike, to become the bike, to become the skateboard, to become the snowboard, <laughs> to become the skis. I saw this uh, footage, I'm sure. So, do you guys remember the ABC's wide world of sports in the beginning the agony of defeat where the guy is going down the ski jump and it's like he realizes right as he's about to go "Mm, probably not a good day for me to fly off this jump (laughs) and just eats it you know the agony of defeat dun 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 the guy just tumbles off he by the way uh, this is the, the the myth at least he walked away from that walked away from that accident you know Swearing, of course, in Magyar, because he was Hungarian, but still, he walked away from that. Um, 
the the footage that I saw was of a guy who affixed a um, camera to his helmet as he was doing a ski jump. And uh, the commentary that was going on is you cannot think while you're doing this. And then you see this. And, and have you ever gone down a roller coaster? And it literally feels like you're going straight down. But if you look at it from the side, oh, that's not such a big deal. But when you're in, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, now take that to some exponential degree. And that's the kind of feeling that I had watching this guy Literally, it looked like he was going straight down. And then this lift, and it was the most beautiful. They had his, his skis and this V that you could see and everything kind of vibrating in the wind, and it was as if he was quite literally flying. And then he landed with a bit of a thud and so forth, but still it was just the most amazing thing. And he repeated, you can't think while you're doing this. So getting us out beyond that space of mind chatter, is really important. It happens every 24 hours. Every time you go into dreamless sleep, the mind quiets itself. It's part of our circadian rhythm. So dreamless sleep, extreme sports. <laughs> and let's, let's assume that you're not going to be doing any extreme sports. What is it that you do that actually helps nourish that spaciousness beyond the constraints of thought? Find something. I'd recommend meditation as being one of those component pieces. But I also think that uncovering something within your day-to-day, maybe it's that hike where you find yourself chattering, or a walk. You find your mind chattering. I get some of my best thinking done on my walk. Instead of thinking, what happens if you become literally one with every single thing that is going on? Really powerful. And it can be anything. It can be any activity that allows us to embody. Embody precisely everything that is unborn, unmade, uncreated. It's that stuff that is prior to the thought. It's that stuff that is after the thought. It's the stuff that surrounds and infuses the thought that we can uncover when we do anything fully. Once again, Sinatra's quote, you got to know when to be quiet in the song. It's the rest, the rest that makes the other notes so beautiful. Otherwise, it's just noise. Carefully orchestrated stillness in the midst of all this vibration begets Mozart's greatest symphonies. Or the clash. I happen to like the clash. I'm a little more biased towards the clash, but you know, that's just me. So I think um, I'm going to butcher another quote now um, for, the, for the benefit of all beings. I think it was in the, the Gospel of John, although I could be wrong. If we have any biblical scholars in the group, please feel free to correct me. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Those who know how to suffer, indeed, do not suffer. And so I would propose that as much as we've looked at, you know, I kind of teased you about, you know, the extreme sports, the circadian rhythm, the, you know, whatever it is, any activity that we do fully. 
One of the other great offerings that the universe throws our way in terms of training wheels, keeping us from riding the bike as it should ultimately be ridden, are the stories that we generate in relationship to our pain, our suffering. And so Christ's little directive here, for those who really know how to suffer, there is no suffering, um, allows for any of us that experience any kind of discomfort, physical or emotional, perhaps even spiritual, you've got something to work with. Every one of us in this room has plenty to work with. The real key here is how to suffer. (laughs) For those who know how to suffer, there is indeed no suffering. So how is it that we suffer? Well, for those of us that spend time, once again, running from our suffering, not wanting to deal with it, trying to hide it, manipulate it, push it away, adjust it, deny it, we're going to run into trouble because all we're doing is we're feeding our suffering the very food it needs to become more intense. On the other hand, if we quite literally welcome our suffering openly, And we begin to recognize that every bit of our suffering is a narrative that ego is using to keep the training wheels on the bike, to keep the bike from being ridden the way it's supposed to be ridden. Our pain can become either something that diminishes us or leads us right into awakening. Our pain, pain, just to be clear, our pain typically is something that we feel um, in a kind of immediacy. The mental stories we create around that pain, the mental stories we create around that pain, suffering. Those stories, once again, keep the training wheels on the bike. Keep us from riding the bike the way it's supposed to be ridden. ridden. Keep us from forgetting how to ride a bike. When you ride the bike fully, totally and completely, you forget that you're riding a bike. Same thing applies with the self, this entity that might feel so just constricted, constrained, bound. We can indeed forget about all in us that is separate in such a way that doesn't deny our separation or our connection. We just need to be able to see beyond the stories that we tell ourselves. We need to be able to, through practice, study exactly what's going on, no matter how good it feels or how bad it feels. No matter the richness of the samadhi or the state experience or the brutality of the suffering that we might be going through. Let the fires burn. But be right there with them. Be the fire just like you would be the bike. Just like you continually 
are this body. Every one of us is this body that we happen to inhabit. But we're more than that. There's more than the story we've written about our bodies. Some of them destructive. These pants make my butt look too big. We're way beyond that in reality. Yet that might be a story we hear ourselves say or another voice say. God, I look good today. Great. But we're beyond that too. We're beyond that story of looking good or looking bad. Of feeling good or feeling bad. Of thinking positively or negatively. Of feeling like we lack or we're the manifestation of abundance. There's more. Abundantly more. But it goes way past whatever story you might have about abundance. So language gets tricky here. But where the teaching keeps pointing us is that if we know how to suffer by meeting it fully with every bit of our awareness, we welcome, we welcome whatever is happening, okay? And we allow ourselves to experience it fully. What happens is we have ultimately a very full experience where nothing's missing. If we allow ourselves to engage in activities that take us beyond kind of the bizarrely ritualistic patterns of mind, whatever that practice might be, we're able to actually see what's not only prior to, but what's beyond, and what infuses all of mind's activity. And this is the work. This is the work. We learn how to suffer. We learn to see things so fully and so completely that they become fulfilling and completing. We start realizing that there's nothing that needs to be healed. That we are, in fact, quite literally already whole, missing nothing. We start seeing that there isn't a need for the stories we tell ourselves. No matter how they might be showing up. I remember uh, Al Franken, who's now a senator from Wisconsin, used to do a, a character on Saturday Night Live called Stuart. Was it Stuart Smalley? Yeah. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. Right? <laughs> Which is the epitomization of egoic need manifesting itself frontally in a mirror. What's missing, unfortunately, is what's doing the looking. And as much as that always cracked me up and so forth, the idea of self-help is basically just a tantrum. 
That tantrum, on the other hand, shows up because there is suffering. So if we can use that suffering to lead us into that spaciousness that's beyond our stories of our suffering, it's all worth it. for Q&A if anybody has um, a question or anything that's arising. Mm-hmm. I forgot. What's the meaning of the flower you have there by the candle? No meaning. <laughs> it means precisely what I was talking about tonight, actually. It means what's beyond the words. Because all I'm doing here every single week is giving you stories so that you can get past the stories, mine and yours. And so in the tradition, the Buddha held up the flower and that was his Dharma talk. Utterly silent, right? There's nothing said because it was beyond the stories. (coughs) Right? still think you guys would balk if I ever did that. (laughs) And then I just left. Hi. Um, Sometimes I've noticed when I let go of something, a story, a belief, after I don't know if it's fully let go, but there's almost a a depression, a sadness. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that your question? We grieve when there is loss, even if what we lose is something that's brutally familiar. Um, best way I can describe that is on the level of romance. How many of us in this room? have ever felt grief even though we either got dumped by or we dumped somebody who was precisely wrong for us. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they still reminded me that I was connected to a greater universe. <laughs> Especially if the sex was good. <laughs> right? You know? Because what happens then is we're reminded of the infinite every single time we engage with this person sexually and so that's why uh, our sexuality can be such an amazing set of training wheels to use just that as an example I mean and there is grief affiliated with that when um, the breakup actually uh, helps take the training wheels off training wheels come off whenever we get beyond the story Sometimes we're riding that bike beautifully, even if it's just for a little while. We wipe out and then training wheels go back on and we, you know, rely on our stories. See? You know? Which is exactly why Western therapy can be so good. Because Western therapy can help uh, steer, you know, help us focus on exactly what it is that we're doing. Help us with these narratives, these stories. Mm -hmm. You know? The letting go of the stories 
is where our spiritual work tends to come in. Okay? But identifying the stories themselves, where we can actually look at our neuroses and become masters at dealing with our neuroses, that's typically Western. And then what the Eastern offers is, well, you can also let go of those stories. At which point, you know, someone with a very thick Austrian accent says, not so. Sometimes this cigar is just a cigar, you know, and then you, you get into that Freudian thing which locks us right back into the ego, more or less. You can't escape the ego. You can't escape the superego or id or, you know, collective unconscious or whatever. That's, that iceberg is still, it's always there. The, the philosophy takes us further when we recognize that, yes, there is an iceberg, but there is also an ocean, and there is also infinite space. Now where are you going to go, Sigmund? You know, so that there is more to, if you will, that story. It's what's beyond the story of the iceberg and all those component pieces to the self-system. We start seeing that, oh my God. I mean, is there a difference between an iceberg and the ocean? Is there a difference between a wave and the ocean? We start seeing everything all connected, right? And when we see that everything is all connected, that grief, that sadness of which you spoke, begins to just kind of flow into the sand and dissolve. And we learn to take everything, if you will, to use very humanistic terms, in stride. And we practice that continually. And that's when the bike riding gets to be kind of fun. Because the bike disappears. Yeah. Uh, I remember you talking oh, several years ago about the A's, uh, but I don't know how they fit in. Acceptance, <coughs> authentic, truth. Boy, I have no recollection of that. I mean, I do remember saying we, acceptance, authenticity. Um, um, I'm sure it was. But I don't remember any of the acronyms I ever used. So I'm guessing if it was, four, if it was the four A's, I think it was acceptance, um, or acceptance, authenticity, and, um, uh, oh yeah, and be very argumentative. I think that was the third one. Argumentative, don't be a jackass, I think was the last one in your process. Gosh, you got me, Cindy. I, I wish, yeah, yeah, I have to look in the archives there. Is it on the site? Did you look, did you search in the... If you go on the site, I think you can actually do a search on the site of the podcast. It might be in there. Four A's. Yeah, accountability. Good. That was one of them. See, this is where the collective actually is better than just one guy up front. Yeah. 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 Boy, I wish I could help you on that. Sorry about that. What were we talking about, though? How they fit into our awareness? Maybe that was the fourth one, awareness. So let's, let's, let's just play with that. Okay, let's go with authenticity. Okay. Um, acceptance. Okay. Accountability, or awareness and accountability. 
Okay. Now, here's what I would do. I would put awareness first. Okay? Awareness, when we actually begin to tap into what is truly going on, we can't do that without being aware. That's, that's the primary step. Awareness is prior to whatever we're aware of. So the awareness of thought is prior to thought, right? Which is kind of what I was talking about. It's without story, yeah. right? Because awareness is what's aware of the story, okay? And then the one I would put at this, you know, since I'm on the spot here, I'll probably screw this up, but awareness. And then I would go with acceptance. Because when we are aware of what's going on, and we can accept what's going on, we can then participate from a place of accountability, where we're accountable. We're accountable to the choices that are availing themselves to us. And every single choice you make, every single choice you make, either takes you towards awakening or diminishes awakening's potential. All right? And finally, we follow this up, what would the last one be? Authenticity. Okay? Authenticity means you live it. That you actually embody it. Okay? That you, you aren't, or accountability, I guess, would be the, uh, is accountability the last one? Or is authenticity? Is accountability even in there? Let's throw it in there. What the hell? Um, <laughs> accountability means that uh, every choice you make you own it's no one else's fault ever your tantrums your issues okay but when you start to see them when you become aware of them when you accept them they begin to lose their stranglehold on your personal reality allowing us to quite literally expand into a much more impersonal spaciousness all right and that should not only put us at the last A, which is... Argumentative? Yeah, argumentative, no. <laughs> which, what the hell? I'm so lost right now. But anyway, what it, what it actually ends up doing, Cindy, is it puts us back to awareness. You know, and so it begins this, this divine feedback loop. It's, it's quite beautiful. It actually carries us. We start recognizing that every single thing, everything that we face is supporting us in our awakening. Hey, awakening, awakening. Maybe. Okay. You can look at me kind of as like a Dharma jukebox. <laughs> you know, just punch in, which, you know. <laughs> and I'll give you the best I can. <laughs> I'm guessing everybody in this room recognizes right now that I'm saying the same damn thing in around 300 different ways. Okay. That is, just look very carefully at your life. It's a practice. It's not a religion. It's a practice. Whatever religion you may have, it only, you know, becomes a story. When we get beyond the story, we actually start uncovering the freedom that's always been there. Every single one of us, every single one of us starts getting to the place where we start recognizing, oh my God, I know... He's been saying this and saying this and saying, duh, right? 
And then our job is to bring it back into the world. Fully. Yeah. Thank you all for coming tonight. I appreciate it.